Good morning. You may wish to turn this way if you're sitting toward the end of the row. Happy Father's Day. Some of you are fathers. And I think most of us have had fathers. It's not a given. I knew my father very briefly as a baby before he was killed in World War II just before the war ended. And some of you may have had absentee fathers. You may have had difficult fathers. Deeply suffering fathers. But nonetheless, on this day, quite apart from the commercialization of everything, we can say thank you. So I was taking a quick look at the Sunday Times and one of the articles was about almost 2,000 children who have been separated from their parents just in the past six weeks and the parents are facing criminal prosecution for their unlawful quote-unquote, crossing the border into the United States. They come from Honduras, from Mexico, Guatemala, many other places. And why do they come? So at the bottom of the front page, there was an ad from Citibank, and it says, Welcome, what's next? Not exactly the way these brothers and sisters have been greeted at the border. And the text of the ad, sponsored by Citibank, showing a photo of a pro golfer named Justin Thomas and his father and coach, Mike Thomas, 
as you can see, nice, nice people, people we can relate to, white folks on the golf course. Hmm? No threat to us. Hmm? So the text of the ad says, Happy Father's Day to all the dads who put their kids' dreams first. So, of course, having this awareness of what's going on and having the juxtaposition of that article right above this, I thought, all these fathers who are bringing their children who are putting their children's dreams first, who are being arrested, and who are having their children torn away. And where have they been going? Well, there's a converted Walmart in Texas where some 1,500 boys are being held right now. What's next? Welcome. What's next? Citibank says. This is truly a dire time. We can, all of us, remember images from the Holocaust of children being wrested from their parents' arms. Our hearts are breaking again. I am not speaking from some political standpoint but rather from fundamental oneness of being. These people who speak a different language from us, who don't look like us, are us. And imagine being a border guard these days. Imagine what that's doing to these fathers who are carrying out the orders of our current administration. And this again is not political. It's just a fact. Based on what? What is this based on? This fact. Fear. Fear. Fear that what? That, that someone's going to lose something if they let these people in. Yeah. Guess. And that fear is based on a very common thing that we all do. Even in our way of speaking. Even I just said, these people, right? Yeah, the others. So our brothers and sisters who are 
carrying out these orders have to see the people they are arresting and tearing apart as the others, just as the Nazis had to do. So I had just been reading the transcription of a talk given by Noritake Roshi when he was at Rinzaiji in California on probably the most difficult koan we can ever take up from the vantage point of our breaking hearts, which is Umon Zenji's Every Day is a Good Day. Right away, you might say, how could he say that? Even back in the 800s in China, monks and nuns were being persecuted, temples were being attacked and ransacked, Buddhas were being destroyed, ordained were forced to give up their ordination lives and robes. Uman was among them. He was young at the time, but still, certainly he was aware of this. It's not that we live in a time when this kind of thing is happening for the first time. And it's certainly difficult to understand that we can actually reach a point in our practice where indeed we can say every day is a good day. But if we cannot do that, how can we respond in any way that will be of any help to anyone In the 800s in China, many, many monks and nuns fled to remote parts of the mountains and continued their practice more passionately than ever. In other words, they weren't at the mercy of these governmental dictates. They weren't about to say, okay, I give up. More than ever, we are urgently required to come from this place of determination, of open-hearted awareness. Nortaki Roshi spoke about that question that Umon Zenji posed to the assembly that relates to his statement. He asked them, I don't ask you anything about the past 15 days, but what about after the 15th? So there are two ways of looking at that. One is that in the lunar calendar, the full moon of enlightenment would occur on the 15th. Another is that the three-month monsoon season in early Buddhism meant that monks could no longer go wandering 
to beg for their food. So they came together and lived in a temple and focused on nothing but their practice. Then this monsoon training period would last from the 15th day of the fourth month to the 15th day of the seventh month. And so there was a ceremony conducted at the end and a ceremony of deep introspection. Have I truly used this time wisely with right understanding so that now when I go out, I can bring myself into this oneness with the fundamental and be able to act in the relative. So Amon was saying, today when you go forth from the monastery, what will your aspiration be? How will you see what is happening around you as the practice itself? How will you respond? What happens from now on? Will you be able to change your mind? To go out from this change of mind that deep practice brings to attend, to tenderly attend to the needs of all you encounter. And how will you do that? Will you have a doctrine that you fall back on? What's the answer? No. No. Will you have a road map? A scheme? GPS? No. No. And that's the point. We each must go into our lives realizing there is no easy answer. There is nothing we can consult to show us how to respond but our own fundamental Buddha nature. It is not out there that we learn the way to right action. It comes from in here. Nortaki Roshi went to visit the Grand Canyon. He had been at a temple, Hakuinji in Arizona, very near the Grand Canyon. And he said, I was overwhelmed with wonder at the canyon's natural beauty created by the slow forces of erosion over time. The forces of water and wind gradually wore away the softer parts of the great stone cliffs over thousands and millions of years creating beautiful shapes that to the human eye resemble castles, Buddha statues, and many other things. This wearing away of the very body of the rock 
is what creates such beauty. It struck me that the same is true of human beings. Over the long years of our lives, we experience many challenges and difficulties that, if met with patience and fortitude, wear our egos away and bring out our beauty and dignity as people. So each of you, no matter how old, has no doubt experienced many challenges. Is this right? You have experienced many challenges in your 24 years. It's not that we have to become 84 before we feel this wearing away of the ego. At any age, you are how old? About to be 20. About to be 20. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how about you? I'm about to be 75. About to be 75. Me too. <laughs> so it's not about quantity, obviously, but about waking up at this moment to the gift of this wearing away. Not so that we can walk around and say, Oh, I didn't get what I needed. I don't like that story. I think I'll get a new story. But rather, waking up to the precious nature of this fundamental truth of who we truly are and acting from that. Norotaki Roshi says, depending on whether or not we are firm in our determination, every day is a good day, will or will not become our reality. As I said, this is one of the most difficult koans. We cannot conceive of it. We cannot conceive of this truth conceptually. We have to have the determination to truly enter into this and not say it depends on what? The correction of our current administration's flaws. It doesn't depend on anything except our own awakening through which there will be no doubt 180 degree shift. But to say what that shift should look at immediately puts us back into the dualistic mindset of this is wrong and this is right. I can't deal with this. That has to change. Passivity. I'm just going to tune out what's going on. These things typically are felt, but our practice is one that says we're not allowed to have that luxury. At the same time, we may feel, I don't know what to do. We have to feel the tenacious one step in front of the other on this 
path steadfastly continuing to bring ourselves into this fundamental awareness. This, no matter how you feel, this, this, not about external situations. Let your ego be worn away by whatever you identify as the reasons you aren't able to sit with full attention. There's always going to be something. Who here is not going to die? How will that moment be? Hmm? It's important for those of us who are 75 or 78, 77, or whatever you all have. I won't, I won't get into everyone's ages, but he, anyway, Nortaki Roshi says, those who have clearly awakened to the path they must walk can walk it with a mind at peace. The meaning of every day is a good day is just this. Development of a mind that abides nowhere, as the Diamond Sutra says, is what we are doing. Not dependent upon what you just read in someone's Facebook posting. Truly to be one with this mind, we must. In this inescapable everyday life of ours, Nortaki Roshi continues, each of us has the important mission of continuing our progress along this single clear path, trusting and knowing the Buddha. Those who have this steadfast mind possess the unshakable faith to squarely face this life of ours. This unshakable faith you may say, well, I don't have it, and I don't feel steadfast, and I can't squarely face what's going on. This would be a very honest statement, right? We must be honest, because that honesty does what? the door to further exploration and practice. That's right. It's a goad. G-O-A-D not L. It's a goad. We notice I can't do this. We notice I don't feel up to it. We notice whatever. I'm not involved. It's far away. And of course, many people said that. That's how we got the Holocaust. 
We're in that right now. So without really completely walking through that door of pain, without completely accepting the feeling that we're not up to it and seeing it as a goad to going deeper in our practice, we're just going to be ineffectual. What Jikyo has been doing, she's gone on a couple of walks with a wonderful local guy. Maybe, could you speak about that a little bit? I'll give you my mic. most dangerous parts of the city for about eight years. And he just walks and if he sees conflict, he talks to people and tells them, don't go there. Um, And now he's inviting white people and others to walk with him and experience that involvement in the neighborhoods. So he grew up? Yeah, he, he was in prison. His son is in prison now. But he grew up on the... And he grew up in the city. South side. And he knows, he knows who's a gang leader. He knows who's trying to make it. He knows so Because you said at, June, at Juneteenth, the gathering uh, for many, many um, historically. Yeah. Tell about that. Well, he, he, had, a, he had a table there. And just um, last year, I don't know about this year, but last year, he knew that some people who were enemies of each other were in the crowd. And so he started walking around and he'd say to somebody, you know, so-and-so's over there, but this is a safe place. Don't start a fight. Our ability to be witnesses like him and Jikyo has gone on two of his walks is something we can all do there is always turmoil somewhere and we can stand up we can bear witness we may feel as though we want to throw these people in prison so that those people can prosper but again it's so quick to be seen, isn't it? That mind of dualism, of the easy fix. The point of our practice is to be with, to feel. And out of that, coming to this steadfast mind, oneness, not dualistic, um, easy ways of seeing good and bad, but to really feel we are one with both the border guards and these families who are trying to put their kids' dreams first. It's essential. And I know that some of you have been very aware of actions like... um, stopping the Keystone Pipeline 
where people just poured out and stood there with the Sioux, stood there with the indigenous people whose lands were about to be further polluted. And that bearing witness was very powerful. And it's my envisioned way of approaching this situation. Okay, I know we're not going to get in a bus, but there are people who are close by who could stand there with the people who are getting arrested and said, we, and say, we are together. We are one. I will be arrested before you. Let me take my role in this because we're all responsible. So who wants to go? It's very hard. You can't just uproot yourself. But I think it's something we can encourage people who are close by. There are lots of Zen centers in Texas, in Arizona, in New Mexico, all along that border. There are those who know of the way many, this is a saying, Nortaki Roshi quotes. You can, today you can get so many books on Zen. You know about Zen. You know about the way. But those who practice the way are few. That's an old saying. Still very true. How do we do this in a way that upholds the Eightfold Path? To have right understanding to have right action, to really put forth our zazen mind, to be a bodhisattva. There, as I said, there is no roadmap for this. And he also says, speaking of movements like mindfulness, the past, uh, various kinds of meditation that were all about making people feel better or are. He says, in none of this is there any concern with how to truly resolve the question of human suffering and attain true peace of mind. Zen is not about one's own individual escape from suffering. I'm sure there are people who start there, who come to the Zendo to feel a little bit better. But when you continue your sitting, you find out that you probably will have to feel a little bit worse. And that the patience to endure that, like the Grand Canyon, is to be really experiencing how the ego is worn away, worn away. All your thoughts about feeling better, worn away. And then, he continues, it is not about running away from our pain and sorrow and confusion, but about plunging into our pain and sorrow and confusion. Becoming one with it, 
an unflinchingly accepting reality just as it is. So, in other words, here we are in Syracuse, New York. We sit here not to escape this reality, not to run from it, but to enter into it, because where is the border? If we understand there is no border, we are right here. We are right here. Walking, just bearing witness, feeling this border that is said to be along the southern, southwestern United States. This border is right here. And truly there is no border when we can feel with an unwavering heart, we are willingly participating in the reality of life in the world, as he says. Just as it is, not as we think it should be. How can we act to be truly of benefit to others if we are wavering, if we are frightened, if we are, and we cannot acknowledge that fear. We must acknowledge it in ourselves. This is unflinchingly accepting reality just as it is. So he said, each and every individual awakens to his or her nobility as a human being. In this way, we attain peace of mind and confirm it. In this way, we are plunging into our pain, our sorrow, our confusion, our fear, our sense of lack of ability to deal. And by doing that, we are awakening to our own nobility as a human being. And he says, in this way, we attain peace of mind and confirm it. The way then illuminates our path and guides us as we proceed. So this is how we respond. By having this true faith in the way as we are walking it, wherever we are, however our lives are asking us to participate. This is, every day is a good day to have this feeling of nobility as a human being that comes from a steadfast determination to walk this path with such attentiveness that we know where the next step will be, that we take this next step with full awareness and 
we offer ourselves as bodhisattvas for every breath we take.